0: Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and will be talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie?
1: Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is a 2002 movie. It was directed by Chris Columbus, based on the novel by J.K. Rowling. I didn't look up the writer. It stars... I was about to say it stars Harry Potter. Wow. It stars Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Alan Rickman, Richard Harris, and added to the cast this time around is is Kenneth Branagh. Paul, do you want to tell us a little bit about the plot of Harry Potter
0: and the Chamber of Secrets? I was hoping you would ask. In his second year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, Harry Potter is warned by a house elf named Dobby not to return. While he's there, he hears mysterious sounds and learns that the legendary Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Bum bum bum. Um. Harry Potter solves the mystery of who opened the Chamber of Secrets and successfully stops the memory of Voldemort from returning to the school and saves the day.
1: So once again, just like in our Philosopher's Stone podcast, we are focusing on just the movie. We're not doing a comparison between book and movie because that's already been done, we, that's not, and that's not what we do on this podcast We're focusing exclusively on Chamber of Secrets, the movie. We will probably fail at that. Like we failed at Philosopher's Stone, but.
0: Yeah, we're going to do our best. We could, if it was what we planned to do, like we could spend some time comparing the book and the movie and we have things to say about that. But that's just not our wheelhouse for this podcast, especially when it comes to Harry Potter, like we have mm-hmm. compared book and movie when it's come to some other things, especially the little prints we did. But it's just not what our intention is for Harry Potter, talking about Harry Potter. We're talking about this as a children's movie.
1: Um, so is there a, an Americanized name for this one? The Room of Whispers? the
0: well the chamber chamber is definitely too foo for a word for americans (laughs) philosopher is so like harry potter and the room of secrets let's just say room
1: (laughs) we actually know that there's not an american version of this but we have to make fun of you
0: harry potter and the room of hushy hushies
1: (laughs) the room of hushy hushies (laughs) Harry Potter and that place where you don't tell anybody anything
0: (laughs) Harry Potter and that place we don't talk none about
1: (laughs) well while we were watching this movie I was tweeting a lot of Harry Potter and the and the things that happen in this movie so um, I might uh, retweet these close to the time we're releasing this episode but it was things like Harry Potter and hey their voices are all changed because suddenly their voices are way lower this movie.
0: Harry Potter and we've already given up making Hermione's hair frizzy.
1: I know, right? <laughs> She's like, "Oh. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Emma Watson is beautiful and we're just going to keep her that way." Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into what we get into here, which is objectively how good of a movie is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets.
0: It has its moments. Sure. I think we're going to try, I mean, as with the last one, we're going to try and talk about this movie and not the whole series. But I am going to put out there that I think that in terms of objective film making, your taste aside, this is the weakest of the Harry Potter movies.
1: That's a mild way of putting it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and all the things that we talked about in The Philosopher's Stone about Chris Columbus lacking restraint sometimes those are really on display in this movie. Like as a director, I think that his excesses uh, are really on display. He is not, he's, he has less restraint than he did in the last movie and it doesn't serve him well.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
0: Um, I think in terms of performances, the adult performers are all great in this movie again. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, Especially uh, Kenneth Brunner, new actor new character in this movie for this movie only i think his performance is one of the highlights of this movie he is great as gilderoy lockhart he's very funny Mm -hmm. he's like such a twit
2: i didn't get rid of the band and banshee by smiling at (laughs) him
1: yeah he is spot on like i feel like kenneth brana was born this role is for him
0: he was it's born hard. to play this role. He was
1: born to play this role. Like, it's hard to imagine anyone else in this role. He's perfect for this role.
0: He's substantially better in this role than he was in the role of Hamlet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. I really like him as Hamlet, but let's just not talk about that right
0: now. <laughs> in the movie Hamlet, Kenneth Branagh is a magnificent director. Anyway.
1: anyway. <laughs>
0: he's great in this role and he really shines. And Professor Sprout, I don't think was in the last movie. If she was, she was Blink and You Miss Her. Yeah, I think she's new right. I think in she this is, movie. I think
1: she is new this time. And right. she also
0: is great. Like, she has a fairly short scene that focuses on her, but mm-hmm. the actress is great. Uh, it's another real high point, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
3: longbottom has been neglecting his ear muffs.
2: No, ma'am. He's just fainted. Yes, well, just leave him there. Right,
1: on we go.
0: And Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson both have improved as actors in this mm-hmm. movie.
1: Absolutely, especially Daniel Radcliffe. He is he has he he keeps on improving. But this this movie definitely he shows his acting chops.
0: I think already in this movie, Emma Watson has a lot less to do in this movie than, mm-hmm. than in the last one. But she's already stopped taking a deep breath before each line, which yes. is like I'm a little sad because that was adorable. But like it's better acting. It's
1: better acting, absolutely.
0: And Daniel Radcliffe, like when you look back on Philosopher's Stone, Daniel Radcliffe was not great in mm-hmm. it. And he's noticeably better in this yes, one. Absolutely. Any other things you want to point out in ter- that you think were done well?
1: Um, as in Philosopher's Stone, the set design and the world building is really good. And, can, and I think even a little better in this one. Mm-hmm. I like that we get. The Burrow in this one for the first time. Yeah, the set design and the world of Ron's house is really cool.
0: Agreed. It's and well,
1: yeah, it's well done. And on, a lot of what Harry Potter, the Harry Potter world is, is very different from my imagination in the book. But the Burrow is is probably the closest mm. to what I imagine of the Burrow. Yeah, and I think. I just love the like the clutteredness and the lived-in feel of it. I think this like the set design was very good.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Agreed. Um, I think again the effects are really good. There's more compu- uh, computer effects in this than there was in the last one. I think. Mm-hmm. I think Dobby as an effect is just incredibly well done in fact i remember watching this movie and thinking that dobby was the best computer animated character i'd ever seen
1: i think um this the first few harry potter movies and the lord of the rings movies came out around the same time and the improvements that lord of the rings made reflect were used in harry potter so dobby much like gollum was this like person dobby, that was there i mean dobby is I'd have not to as, check as gollum the,
0: uh dates i'm 90 sure Goll- that dobby is before gollum he is because i remember definitely watching harry potter and the chamber of secrets and thinking dobby is the first time i have ever seen a computer animated character whose existence i believed in
3: mm-hmm.
0: and then i watched lord of the rings and saw gollum and was like oh holy cow
1: yeah <laughs> absolutely
0: but I think Dobby has aged well. Like
1: yeah, it's surprising how you watch it, it now, is. and he
0: does not look bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, com- like unlike
1: in th- the troll in the last one,
0: the troll in the last one doesn't look good. The centaur in the last one doesn't look good. The basilisk in this one mm-hmm. looks okay, but not great. Mm-hmm. But Dobby looks fantastic.
1: Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about highlights. We have. How about them lowlights?
0: I'm, there are many you know, of them. I feel sad for him because he's like a 12-year-old kid, but Rupert Grint. Oh, boy. I think this is the, one of the major things that Chris Columbus is not doing Rupert Grint any favors no, in this movie. No, he is not. I think Rupert Grint's performance is a major lowlight in this movie, but I place the blame on Chris Columbus's shoulders.
1: Absolutely. I think he's doing exactly what he's being directed to do. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's the worst. Yeah stop telling this kid to make faces at the camera.
0: Yeah. How many times does Ron like make a grimace and then turn towards the camera with a like, practically like pulling at his collar. Yeah, exactly. At least six times. Yeah. In this movie.
1: If it would have happened once, it would have been annoying, but it would have been okay. But it happens again and again and again and again. It's just, Oh, it grates on me every time I watch this movie. It's just bad. Like it's, it's just badly bad. Done. Yep, it's just badly done.
0: And in the same, like, in the same Chris Columbus going overboard, there's a moment when they're in the flying car and there's unnecessary tension that they lose control of the car for no reason and almost crash into a bridge for no reason.
1: Hate, 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 hate that part.
0: And Rupert Grint, like, does his yikes face. And then the camera pans over to uh, Edwig. Hedwig, who does a double-take, eyes widen. And you're like...
1: Why? Why does the owl need to do a double-take? It's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. It is.
0: So, I mean, that's the major low point, I think, is yeah. Ron throughout. Mm. Um, Sorry, Rupert Grint.
1: Yeah. I mean, he does get better. I'm sorry to a say bit. he's just not as strong of an actor as... Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson. No. But he gets better than he does. Like, this is the lowest point of Ron, of Rupert Grunt.
0: Yeah. And I put a lot of the blame on Chris Columbus. And that's why even in the last movie, when you said Chris Columbus knows how to direct children, and I was like, well, does he, though? He knows how to get them to do what he wants.
1: But his taste level, (sighs) we don't like.
0: No. Yeah, exactly. That's the major down point in terms of like the quality of this movie it's enough to cause there's a lot of that kind of thing that kind of overdone overly wacky uh moment but really Rupert Grint epitomizes what I think is wrong with this movie in terms of quality
1: yes there's just yeah it's it fails to hold my attention in the, you know, 15th time of watching it. <laughs> it has a Quidditch scene that goes on for 90 years. Yeah, it's a long like, Quidditch scene. Like, literally, it's it's just drags that Quidditch scene. And I get that it's, like, important to the... Ugh, I don't know. I guess I get that it's, like, supposed to be high tension with, like... Uh, Draco versus Harry, but it's pretty bad. And you have, speaking of child actors, you have Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy saying Potter over and over again in
0: this movie. This is the movie where he says Potter a million times. Yeah, and that's not so great either. With exactly the same intonation. And again, I am positive because he was told to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Like, I definitely put... The blame on, yeah, the directors
0: in this. I hate the car is alive and is a dog and, like, shakes itself and, what like, and we said we weren't going to do this, but that's an element that's taken right from the books, but it's bad in the books. There's a flying spell on this car, so it's alive? That makes no sense. And it makes no sense in the book, and it makes less sense in the movie. when like, the car the, just, just has... Like practically comes up to them panting like a dog.
1: Yes, I agree. I think it's better in the books because there's reasons. But yeah, Are they, though, it's... in the book, it's a, the effect of the forbidden forest.
0: Right. That doesn't make a... sense.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the forbidden forest makes inanimate objects alive,
1: and it's not alive like that in the in the books. In yeah. The same way. Anyway. We're not doing that. We're not comparing. We're not, we're not comparing in the movie. In, in the movie,
0: the car just like decide, suddenly is alive, and it makes no sense. And yes. I hate the way it's both in execution and even in conception. And uh, there's a lot of these moments of drawn out, kind of contrived immediate dangers, and the most egregious is in the car ride when they're about to slam into a tunnel for no reason. Yes. And they exactly. lose control of the car for no reason. Yeah. But then
1: Here's the thing. If there's one thing we hate, listening to WTS, you will find if there's one thing we hate, it is contrived danger. It yeah. is danger for no reason. This is why we hate the Polar Express. Don't at us. Don't at us. Um, <laughs> this is, it's just contra- danger for absolutely no reason. Why would, why would the car door fly open and a kid dangle out of it for no reason? reason other to be like, oh, there's peril. Except like you don't need to add extra peril in this movie.
0: Yeah. You don't need to there's tons
1: so much peril. In fact it's the most perilous of like all, but somehow
0: they have to add more. And that car (sighs) is very bothersome because there's emotional peril that should be enough. They're f- driving there, and they're gonna be late for school, and they're gonna—the danger that they're gonna be expelled. Like, if you want to ratchet up the peril, you could make that danger of expulsion be something that isn't a surprise to—or is a surprise to them, but not to us. Mm-hmm. Because and they're in a kind of a danger. It's just not a danger of falling out of the car to the ground. That's stupid.
1: And frankly, like, they can go. You don't need to have the long drive. You can have them flying the car and then arriving. And the Whomping Willow is the danger when they get to Hogwarts. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, it... That car scene just, like... Like... Puts me over the edge every time. I hate it so much.
0: The... enchanted bludger is a peril but it goes on for a really long time a very long time and the spiders when they go to see aragog which by the way when we're talking about good and bad effects the spider effects are really good i think
1: yes that's true they are
0: um but the spiders like that peril is drawn out so long and it doesn't need to be it's Mm -hmm. enough like they're in this thing, they think it's safe, it's scary, but they think it may be a safe. And then Aragog is like, no, my kids are going to eat you. And then there's barrel and they think they're going to be eaten. And then the car drives them away. You don't have to. And then the spiders catch up again and the car drives them away again. And then the spiders catch up again and the car, like enough. Uh, yeah, man. exactly.
1: Exactly. It's, it, it makes the plot feel all over the place. When the plot of this movie is a mystery story. It's a really tight it's a, mystery it's story. It's a really tight mystery story, and it's done really well. If you do it well, it can be, you know, it's the mystery of the Chamber of Secrets. It's the mystery of what is this thing that's paralyzing students? What is going on here? Harry thinks it might be himself. There's all these red herrings going on of, like, is it, uh, yeah. is it Lockhart? Is it Snape? Is it Harry himself? Is it – who is it? And if you're clever, you can kind of catch the clues. Yeah. But they add just these extra scenes for no reason. These extra perilous uh, things that go on and on.
0: And I feel like they don't do what's really important for the Chamber of Secrets to land as a, the emotional arc of the Chamber of Secrets does not land at all. Which mm-hmm. is, we don't have to think that Harry might be doing it because he's, his name is on the Title, and we know he's not a bad guy. Mm -hmm. But we have to believe that he could plausibly believe that he is a bad guy. Yes, and we don't. No, we have to be enough in like that headspace that we understand that he thinks he might be actually the Arab Slytherin, and they just don't land that at all.
1: Also. They don't, it feels like Ginny being the one comes out of nowhere because you haven't seen her the whole movie. Yeah. You saw her at the very beginning and then you see her at the end in the chamber and it tacks on the scene of like, here's what was happening with her all along. But you didn't see like any signs, anything of her like.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Being possibly even remotely the, a suspect. And that's a bad, It's a bad way of telling a mystery. Yeah. When, honestly, J.K. Rowling is good at telling mysteries. J.K.
0: Rowling is very good and at mysteries. S-
1: and so, and a lot of Harry Potter books are mysteries. And so, this one, they just take away all the elements that would help you solve it. And I think that's yeah, that's poor. Like, to watch this movie just as this movie, the fact that it's Ginny comes out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. Agreed. We've... We've gone
1: on a bit long. We've this strayed section, a little bit
0: into how much you enjoyed it. Yes. So let's just keep doing that. Apart from objective judgments, how much did you enjoy this movie?
1: Honestly, I mean, watching it this time, I was just like, this is my least favorite Harry Potter movie. I just do not enjoy it. However, it's my least favorite of my favorite Movies, you know, like it's still Harry Potter that I love. Yeah, I really do love these books and these movies a lot. I have a great, mm-hmm. great deal of affection for them and have been a fan for years. And what we talked about in our previous episode about the Philosopher's Stone, we have this personal connection of going on dates to see these movies. So that will never stop being very important to me. Yeah, But of all the movies and of all, of a lot of movies, Chamber of Secrets is just, I don't like it as much.
0: When we rewatched all the Harry Potter movies a couple of years ago, a year or two ago, we skipped Chamber of Secrets.
1: Yep, we did.
0: Um, And I think that was the right call.
1: Yep, exactly. If
0: we have another time when we're like, hey, let's rewatch all the Harry Potter movies. I think we'll skip the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. It has moments. I, l- I actually really, really like Lockhart's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has moments that I'm like, I would rather be doing almost anything than watching this movie. Before We left Objective Things. I want to throw one more insult to <laughs> <laughs> at this movie, that I praised the effects, but Hermione Emma Watson in cat makeup is bad. Oh, yes. It's yeah. It's very that's a bad badly one. done. Yeah. And like, they have amazing makeup artists at their disposal. Sometimes the makeup is great. That is not a good effect. And it looks very bad.
3: Yep,
1: Absolutely.
0: So there's a lot about this movie that isn't very enjoyable to me. I think that can be our whole discussion of that.
1: Yeah, should we move on to the, uh, (laughs) I feel like we're already doing this, but let's take this
3: way way, 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 too seriously.
0: We may have trouble doing anything other than taking it way too seriously when it comes to Harry Potter, and we have not rewatched The Prisoner of Azkaban yet. We might, we might not. If we do... Expect more of this serious uh, (laughs) uh, assessment of it. Anyway, let's take this movie way too seriously. And where would you like to start in a conversation about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets?
1: Oh, man. Where would I like to start? Let's start with Ginny and Hermione and the roles of women in this movie. All right. Of which there are lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said about Ginny, she's given so little. Yep. And it's just, it's, she's not a character. She's just a motivation. Yep. And it's very unfortunate. Yep.
0: Yep. And we, without, like, let's really remind ourselves a billion times not to go back, go comparing to the book too much. But taking this movie, we have Ginny, who is not a character. Mm-hmm. Most of the time that she's on screen, she's lying unconscious on the floor. She, nothing happens with her after Harry resolves the plot. Like, we don't go back to her at all.
1: Nope. No. No deal
0: all. at all with her and what, how this has affected her. No, nope. Not even in the most glancing of ways. Nope. She's. We, we have very, very little sense of, like, there's a, a quick hand wave of, like, oh, I was controlling her, but, like, she doesn't have any reason to be trusting Tom Riddle. Uh, I'm comparing to the book a little, but we aren't given any of the, like, reason why she would be writing in the diary and confiding in him and pouring herself into the diary yeah, at all. Yeah, Exactly. She's out of nowhere, and why she is there is because she's Ron's sister, and even at, like, so she's just such an object. An object for Tom Riddle to manipulate, an object for Harry to save. She's not a person, she's not a character, she has no agency, she has no presence. No, exactly, exactly. And then we have Hermione who we addressed some of the Hermione issues in the Philosopher's Stone. All those issues continue to be present in this movie. hmm And then we have added, like, Hermione very cleverly does this potion. That's great. Then she gets to be petrified and is the literally turned into an object. She's turned into an inanimate object. Yeah. That she's solved the mystery. Uh But she doesn't get to explain it. She doesn't get to help. She gets to be motivating Harry and Ron to solve the mystery and have the adventure. Like, she is so sidelined in this movie. Yeah. And it, like, Emma Watson doesn't get as much to do. And she's sidelined twice in this movie because she makes the polyjuice potion, but it goes wrong for her. So she can't go on the fact-finding adventure to... Find yeah, out. exactly. She stays in the bathroom, and then she gets petrified. And so, twice in one movie, Hermione gets sidelined and doesn't join in on Ron and Harry like sleuthing and mischiefing and adventuring. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's such a disservice to mm-hmm. her and to like Emma Watson has a lot less to do in this movie. Yeah. Than she did. And that makes me sad because I like seeing her on screen.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then, so that's 2 Mm-hmm. And then we have Moaning Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle. Do you, wanna ha- Do you have anything to say about Moaning Myrtle? I mean, Moaning
1: Myrtle is a problem. She is a shrieking, shrill, annoying person who has had something traumatic happen to her. She died at, like, how old? 14, 15? Younger? I don't even know. I
0: don't know. The actress is, like, 40.
1: Oh, I know. The actress is... (laughs) Yeah. I love that actress. She's from uh, Bridget Jones and other things. And other things. Yeah. And she's done Doctor Who, too.
0: Yeah. I have to say, I'm going to just interrupt the way too seriously to say, I love that actress, and I hate Moaning Myrtle, but I actually... Quite like her performance as Moaning Myrtle for what it is.
1: Yes, exactly. Once again, she's doing what she's being asked to do. It's really the, well. It, yeah, really well. It's just I don't like what she's being asked to do. But I'm more talking about Moaning, Moaning Myrtle as a character. Yeah, which is she is that yeah, this person who's annoying who hangs out in a bathroom. She of course she's a girl. Of course she's yeah. a girl would stay in the girls' toilets. And cry because she died, and she doesn't get to wander around the ghost wander around like the other ghosts. She doesn't get to be nearly headless. Nick, she and yeah, and she's had something traumatic happen to her. She died. She was killed by Voldemort. She was, <laughs> I was like hesitated. Like, should I say you know who? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's okay, no. Jen. Fear of the <laughs> name only inc- increases fear of the thing itself.
1: Which, by the way, is a Dumbledore line put in put in Hermione's mouth. So that was interesting in this movie. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I kind of like that, that.
0: That Hermione would say Give that. Give her something to do. Give her something to do. She doesn't get she, any resolution. She doesn't get any.
1: She doesn't get any uh, sympathy for right. being dead. She hasn't. They make fun of her. They are annoyed by her. She gets absolutely no place to process this incredible trauma that happened to her.
0: And I think, like, she gets no sympathy from the characters, which would maybe be okay because they're, they're 12. self-centered 12-year-olds. Yeah, but she gets no sympathy from the movie No, is none. where the, the biggest problem lies. Mm-hmm. Like it would be fine to have some acknowledgement that she's, you know, a girl who was killed in her adolescence and not an object of scorn and mockery mm-hmm. and have that go over Harry and Ron's stupid heads. Like, and you could put that in, I, you know, Hermione, in the books, does treat Moaning Myrtle with some sympathy at the same time as she is annoyed by her, but we don't get that in the movie at all. Not at all. And we don't get any recognition from the movie, from the way it's filmed, from the way she's told to act, from the way anyone reacts to her. That she's anything but like, ugh, moaning Myrtle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's crying. Wouldn't it would be funny to throw books at her? Like, it's really awful.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Partly because it's so cold, Mm-hmm. but also partly because this, like, stuck in the bathroom crying for the rest of the world because people were mean to me is this stereotype of a girl, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, toxic stereotype. That yep. the movie does nothing to complicate. It just reinforces it.
1: It just reinforces it. You're right. Exactly. What else do you have to take way too seriously in this?
0: I think in terms of gender and sexuality, I think that's all I have to say.
3: hmm
0: uh, Or I think we've covered it enough, I think. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about class in this movie
1: attending class or (laughs) or the other kind of class
0: i mean i think we should talk about race and class in this movie and how they're intertwined with each other the way that this movie uses uh muggle borns as a metaphor for a racialized other but doesn't actually include any Racial diversity on the screen. So we have metaphorical uh, racism.
1: Right, yeah, with Hermione being called a mudblood for the first time in this movie. Hermione's
0: called a mudblood, and it becomes, like, important in this movie that, like, blood purity Mm -hmm. and who you're, what you're born and your bloodline. And that's what the Chamber of Secrets is all about. But then the movie shows us all white people. Yeah. so. It is against racism, sort of, (laughs) right? Yeah, in theory, it is ostensibly an anti-racist story, but in practice, it is reinforcing white supremacy. Absolutely, that's awful.
1: There are background people that are people of color, but that's like that doesn't barely counts at all.
0: I feel like this movie's even wider than the Philosopher's Stone. I feel
1: like it is too. like do we even see Dean Thomas in this one? I, I don't, don't think so.
0: We still have Lee Jordan commentating on yep. the Quidditch match. He'll continue doing that for all the movies or all the quidditch matches in the movies
1: until until he uh, until he graduates, but he I don't graduates. think there is
0: Quidditch after he leaves Luna oh Luna does does yeah. the, oh, does Luna. the
1: commentary I
0: love Luna okay we're losing. The plot. Um, (laughs) I think this movie is even whiter than the last movie, and that's a travesty when the ostensible theme is uh, against the idea of blood purity. Mm Mm-hmm. And
1: that Slytherin is a a bad guy because he wanted a school that was only one race, basically, the race of pure blood wizards.
0: Yep. So that's troubling. And then in terms of the theme of the movie that's all entwined with class. Mhm. So Drake uh, the Malfoys are pure blood, but they're rich upper class pure blood and the Weasleys are pure blood but they're not as good because they're poor. Yeah. Uh, so there's different ways that you can be uh Like, racism and classism are both inherent in Lucius Malfoy and the Malfoy worldview. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to be the right race and the right class to be a valuable person. Yeah. What do we think about how this movie
2: looks at, thinks about, and talks about class?
1: I think it wants to be saying something... It wants to be saying that it doesn't matter what your blood is, yeah. But I'm not sure it lands it very yeah. well. It's saying too many things at once.
0: I think, I think it strays dangerously close to the, a kind of English classism, um, that thinks of like northern west Mm. England are salt of the earth and it's uh, a benevolent classism Mm
3: -hmm. that
0: the poor rural northern people are the ones with dirt under their fingernails and they really work their good soil loving mud muddy wellies outside their door raising chickens uh salt of the earth good people and and it's patronizing
3: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's Mm well-intentioned because there is an element to which it's true that rich people are uh morally dubious to the degree that they are rich like i'm gonna put a stand put a out there this possibly radical political position that the richer you are the more morally compromised you are by virtue of your richness. Because if you are rich and there are poor people and you are keeping your money instead of giving it to the poor, that makes you morally suspect. But.
1: Ourselves included.
0: Ourselves included. But there's also this like, oh, the poor, the poor and their life of moral superiority. They don't need to have money because they have moral superiority. It's very patronizing, and I think this movie. And
1: don't don't kid yourself that this is just the English, by the way.
0: No, but I the way that that's located uh, geographically and with accents, and specifically an yes. English. And you said a second ago British, and I insisted on English because it's a specific, It's it's all coded in quite specific ways. In where the Weasleys' house is and what it looks like
3: mm-hmm.
0: is a very English, specifically, yeah, kind of class of benevolent classism that I think this movie is reproducing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as it's kind of thoughtless about it because the Weasleys all have different accents. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here on you, but. Speaking of classism, the, I mean, house elves.
0: Yeah, talk about house elves. Are
1: a different class of human, mm-hmm. different or a different class of creature. They're mm-hmm. basically human, like how they're a sentient being who yeah. are forced into servitude. And there's a thing where, like, maybe they love their servitude, maybe they, but Dobby sure doesn't. Mm-hmm. And... There is this moment at the end of this movie, and this is like specific to the movie, where Lucius Malfoy comes into Dumbledore's office and is mistreating Dobby like crazy.
0: Yeah, kicks him. And- kicks
1: him. And Harry follows him out, and Dumbledore doesn't bat an eye. Yep. Doesn't say anything. To Lucius about this treatment of another creature. Yep. Harry does everything he can and ultimately sets Dobby free because clearly that's what Dobby needs and wants.
3: Yep.
2: And uh, in
1: in his anger. Of losing his servant, Lucius Malfoy is about to literally kill Harry Potter. He starts saying the Avada Kedavra. Don't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the killing curse. And like this grown man is about to kill Harry Potter in this hallway and Dobby saves him. Yeah. Where is Dumbledore? Yeah. Why on earth is Dumbledore not helping Harry in this moment? And like, and doing so, and saying anything about this horrible mistreatment of this creature, and of I don't know what to call house elf. Of house elf.
0: I think they are people. I think there is no, like, we can yeah. waffle around about it. In the universe, they are a different class of sentient humanoid. That isn't a thing that exists. So they're metaphorical. Humans, yeah, exactly. They're metaphors for a different race or class of human, mm-hmm. and there's no way around that. And that goes for goblins too, by the way.
1: Yeah.
0: And centaurs. Anything that talks like a human in any fantasy story is a metaphor or analog for some race or class or some. It doesn't have to necessarily be a one-to-one analog for a specific race. Hmm. But talk about them as humans because they are. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and in terms of like I think Dumbledore not helping Harry when Malfoy when Lucius Malfoy is about to literally murder him in the hallway, I can kind of give Dumbledore a bit of a pass because like he did not expect that to be the outcome. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's probably true. <laughs> it's it's not. It's not unreasonable for him to expect that one of the board of directors of the school would not murder someone in the hallway. <laughs> like i could I could see him being a little taken aback <laughs> he's, by that he's a
1: little he's a little overreacting
0: just a smidge. But your point about uh Malfoy kicking and yanking on and like really mistreating Dobby in front of Dumbledore and Dumbledore does not care
3: mm-hmm
0: is I think a really good one mm-hmm because like dobby throughout this movie has caused a lot of trouble for Harry he like moaning Myrtle we don't have we're not encouraged to have a ton of sympathy for Dobby
3: yes that's true
0: but we do get some sympathy for him at the end like I think at that last scene when Lucius is kicking him up the stairs the movie gives us enough to make us sympathetic to Dobby to make us see Dobby the way that Harry does that he does not deserve this treatment, that it is not right for him to be treated in this way. Um, and it's a real indictment of Dumbledore and of wizarding society as a whole that Dumbledore does not care. And that it's not... I think you're exactly right. It is not just that Dumbledore, like, pragmatically decides that this is a fight he can't fight at this moment. Dumbledore could not give a fork.
3: Yep
1: absolutely absolutely and like it speaks to i think an interesting thing where when uh a racism a classism all sorts of things are so ingrained in a certain society that we don't even notice them and then someone from the outside comes and sees that and goes what is this? How on earth are you allowing this to happen? This is important. This is a really good thing to happen. This is like when you see, when you go into another culture and these there's these ways of doing things that are so absurd. Sometimes that's what it takes is for an outsider to come in and go and point to the fact that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. Yep. Like it's these house elves are being horribly mistreated and I mean, we can talk a little bit about the future and I don't, don't want to too much, but like in the books, there's the, uh, spew that Hermione starts to save the elves and it, and she kind of gets, well, the elves are really happy. They want to be serving, but Dobby doesn't. Yeah. Dobby is not happy. Yeah. And Dumbledore is a smart and insightful wizard. He knows. Yeah. How can he look at Dobby and go, well, he's just one of those house elves who loves serving. Clearly he isn't. Clearly he's unhappy. Clearly he's being mistreated. Yep. And just, and the house elves that work at Hogwarts are not being mistreated and are happy in their servitude. And that's a complicated whole thing. Yeah. That's a complicated whole thing, but Dobby is being abused and Dumbledore turns away.
0: And if Dobby is a metaphorical representation of uh, serving class or race or whatever, uh, Dumbledore really is this like, well, it's not my problem. That is what allows this kind of thing to exist and continue. I read, I'm just finished teaching in my class, a play called oil and water. Um, which is based on a true story. And the very bare bones of it is during the in 1942, an American naval vessel crashed off the coast of Newfoundland. And one of the survivors was an African-American man. All the survivors were covered in oil and the Newfoundlanders who rescued them were trying to wash the oil off. And they found they couldn't wash the oil off him because it, his skin actually was black or dark. And they had never seen a black man before, and they didn't know that they were supposed to treat him like an underclass of person. They didn't know they were supposed to treat him badly because they were like Harry in this situation, and Lanyard Phillips, the uh, naval mess attendant, said, has said, I'd never been spoken to kindly by a white person before. And then he went off, like, it changed his life. And he went off and he marched at Selma and he... Uh, he
1: fought for civil
2: rights. Fought for
0: civil rights. And he, it changed his perspective on the world.
2: hmm
0: And
3: uh, the
2: point of the play is prejudice is taught.
0: And there's nothing that isn't taught. And the point of the play is very hopeful, is like, well, if prejudice is taught, it can be untaught. And there's a lot about uh, the way that house elves are treated in this movie that is hitting that same, that it has a potential to hit that same uh, note. That, like, Harry doesn't know that he's supposed to kick house elves and, he, and treat them like garbage, so he mm-hmm. doesn't. Exactly. Um, and This movie is an opportunity to hammer that message home. I think it almost does. It is a shame that uh, both the movie and the books give up on that Mm -hmm. after this one. Yeah. Because Hermione's spew is ridiculous. And everybody is like, she's an object of ridicule for campaigning for house elf rights. Because they don't want to be freed. And we could talk about that. That's a whole other movie. It's not actually in the movies at all. It's not even in the movies at all. Because the movies don't care about elf rights, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, house elves are serious business, man. Serious business? Serious business, Jan. I should say Jan instead of man when I'm talking to you, because you're not a man, but you are a Jan.
1: Should we talk about Hermione's hair?
0: Go. That's getting back to the women thing. Talk about Hermione's hair. It's just,
1: I mean, this is difficult because it's like book versus movie versus whatever. But in the first movie, so if we're going to go with just the movies, in the first movie, Hermione has frizzy hair and is a child who wouldn't care about her hair because she cares about her studies. And the second movie, she is beautifully coiffed. And
0: it's... Why would that matter?
1: And that matters because... It's not Hermione's character. She wouldn't have time to do her hair. She's worried about other things. Jen, she is what?
0: No, girls only care about how they look. It's the most important thing a girl can offer to the world.
1: Right. I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That's this is the thing is is it's it's making Hermione it's focusing again it's focusing on her looks instead of her smarts and I don't like it. I I understand in a movie why they do this, because they're so used to making everybody look as beautiful as possible. Mm -hmm. But she should... Two movies from now, when she suddenly is in a beautiful dress, it should be a change, and it's not.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's because Hollywood can't handle uh, even a 12-year-old yeah exactly girl who isn't uh
2: an object of uh male gaze male gaze like that's really what it is yep
0: uh well, that's a bummer of a note to end on
1: a little bit i mean inconclu- let's it's is it good is it seriously good Is it good no no. Sadly, it's just not the best.
0: I don't even think it makes it to medium. Mm-hmm. Like, just as a movie, it has good moments, but it's not a good movie.
1: Yep, Especially
2: as a Harry Potter
3: movie.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess as a movie, it's
2: medium bad.
0: Is it seriously good?
1: Nope. No. Nope, it has its
2: issues. It's not
0: seriously good either.
1: I don't think it's bad,
2: but medium. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's not better than medium. Mostly because here's where I think uh, my argument for it being bad instead of medium is all about how the... uh, Real practices of the movie are directly counter to the ostensible theme of it. So it preaches uh, inclusivity and blood isn't destiny, but it practices white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That makes it bad. That makes it more than medium, Like it makes it worse than medium. I think the gender yeah. things are medium because they're crappy, but they're no worse than what is standard. Mm-hmm. Really. And that's sucky. And the house health stuff is probably for the good, really. It's all complicated, and complicated Mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. But the, like, everyone involved in making, like... Yeah. Everyone we see on screen, with one exception, is white. When this movie is about, ostensibly about, uh, why blood supremacy is evil. That's crappy.
1: Medium bad.
0: Medium bad.
1: This movie is bad and medium bad.
0: Yep. Well. We should talk about Prisoner of Azkaban because it's way better.
1: We should. I hate the werewolf in it, but that's, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's not relevant at this moment. Save that for that podcast. Just saying. Um,
1: I have so many thoughts and feelings about Harry Potter. And if you want to talk about them with me, I would love to talk about them with you. We are on Twitter at WTSCast. You can email us, waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Reddit. All those links are in our show notes. If you love what we do, if you like what we do, think about supporting us. Patreon.com slash ClockworksCast. If you support us, you get different levels of uh, fun and extra bonuses. What else do they have to do?
0: Uh, you could rate and review us.
1: You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or, you know, whatever podcast thing you're listening with.
0: I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And if there's a secret room in the underneath your bathroom, I advise you not to go there. <laughs> I think the moral actually of this story is that diaries are bad news. Don't keep a diary.
1: Don't keep a diary and don't throw it down the toilet.
0: Yeah, throwing books down the toilet. Yeah, don't ever throw a book down the toilet. What are you doing, Ginny? That, like, that's going to clog up the pipes. Is that what you want? You want clogged pipes? Filch has reason to be annoyed. (laughs) Don't
1: even get me started on Filch. Oh boy. That should be a whole episode unto itself. Ask me about Filch sometime, people. Ask me about Filch.